Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. In one of her last interviews, the late Dr. Maya Angelou spoke to us about her life, travels, and her belief in our common humanity. There really are no differences. There are cultural carryovers, but no real differences between human beings. Artist Michelle Wood illustrates a piece of America's history and culture in vivid colors in her book, I See the Rhythm of Gospel. Music patriarch Ellis Marsalis has dedicated his life to preserving jazz, but his famous sons Branford and Winton didn't initially share his passion. As they were growing up, jazz music was not their favorite music. Revolutionary artist Sandra Isidore discovered the importance of humanity during her time with Nigeria's Afrobeat musician Fela Kuti. But at the end of the day, we're all humans, and, and we must connect. We must learn how to connect. Hear legendary voices and feel the rhythm of America's history on World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. American history through gospel music with Coretta Scott King award-winning illustrator Michelle Wood, who brings history to life in her book, I See the Rhythm of Gospel. We will also talk jazz with legendary musician Ellis Marcellus, and we'll learn what he and his famous sons, Branford and Winton Marcellus, as well as his adopted son, Harry Connick Jr., are doing to preserve jazz and support musicians in New Orleans. Also coming up on World Footprints, revolutionary artist Sandra Isidore revisits her life during the civil rights era and how her involvement as a Black Panther partisan shaped the music and views of Nigeria's revolutionary Afrobeat musician Fela Kute. From the floor of the New York Times Travel Show, we will shine a destination spotlight on the country of Turkey. people we've talked to on our show, I've never been more excited to share today's special guest with our World Footprints audience. She is a phenomenal woman who knows why a caged bird sings and why all of God's children need traveling shoes. And despite life's challenges, she still rises. I'm referring to global renaissance woman, Dr. Maya Angelou. The author of several books, just a few of the aforementioned, Dr. Angelo is a professor, poet, performer, and recipient of a Presidential Medal of Freedom, among many other accolades. I'm very honored that Dr. Angelo is joining us today to share some wisdom, stories from her incredible life's journey, including her somewhat complicated relationship with her mother, Vivian Baxter, who was one of the most influential people in her life. Messages of courage, hope, Forgiveness and unlimited possibilities are what Dr. Angelo attributes many of her life's blessings to. Well, I've been asked so many times in the last 25 years, how did I get to be Maya Angelo, whatever that is, to different people? How did I come from this to that? And how did I get out of that little village in Arkansas and out of the racial um, hassle and struggle and how did I come to be a person, a person of the world, really? And I thought, it, it, my mother, I must give her so much of the credit. My grandmother, my brother, and my mother. But I noticed so many women who have difficulty with their mothers and, uh, and, and with their daughters. 
And I thought, if I'm right about how a mother love can liberate, uh, maybe somebody will will take an idea, that idea, and and enlarge upon it. She said, I keep that card. I've kept that card by my bed on the nightstand. When I get up to make coffee, I take it to the counter. I take it in the living room, and I'm going to sit in the living room. She said, I know that this means my daughter and I are going to be reestablished. I thought, let me write about my mom. Thinking about the title of your book, Mom in Me and Mom, it almost suggests that your relationship was transitional, that there were maybe two distinct relationships you've had with her. That's very true. At one time, I didn't even like her. I thought my brother and I had we had been abandoned by her and my father, and we just didn't really care for her. She's every year to she'd send a a doll or, or a truck down to us in Arkansas, and I would poke the eyes out of the doll, and Bailey would break the truck because we just didn't. But when I went to live with her at 13, uh, she she surprised me. She uh, she was sensitive. She never laughed at anybody. She didn't belittle anyone. Mm. People who worked for her, and uh, and she talked kindly to me. And she didn't berate me if I did something wrong. She was on my side. Mm-hmm. When when I received a bad grade in school, and she knew I was an A student, and she went to school, she didn't ask me what happened. She went to the school and asked the teacher, "What are you doing?" <laughs> so she let me know I had a I had an advocate, mm-hmm. and it's- I began to really see her her character, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Trying to imitate it. And, and, and I know some of the, the profound messages that she gave you growing up, um, and, and one in particular was one of courage. And I think one of the most important lessons she helped teach you was the power of forgiveness. Yeah. How did those two qualities, courage and the ability to forgive, impact your life? Well, I know this. You have to have courage to forgive. Quite often, the the cowardly person, I don't want to berate the person, but the person who hasn't developed courage will rather have the ills they bear than fly to others that they know not of. So that the the person who doesn't have courage uh, identifies herself to herself or to himself by saying, I'm the one that doesn't like uh, Chinese food. I'm the one who doesn't like uh, uh, the Mexican people. I'm the one... Instead of just saying, "Wait a minute, uh, let me let me uh, get rid of this ignorance as soon as possible," but sometimes people think that if they if they free themselves of their ignorance, they will be, have no they will they will have no cast they will have no personality. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Well, I'm the one, and they, they start to t- describe themselves by their negatives. So you have to have courage to to um, allow the negative freedom and freedom from you, allow yourself to be free of it. Mm -hmm. Once you do that, you have enough courage to forgive. Something you just said really resonated um, with me. I mean, everything you're saying to me today resonates with me, but um, in particular with World Footprints, you know, we're a traveling lifestyle show, and our focus is really kind of bridging those those cultural gaps and and so when you were talking about people's misperceptions of other cultures um, you know it reminded me of your travels and you've traveled all over the world you've lived abroad um, in Egypt what was your experience like living abroad and how did that experience change your perception of other cultures and of the world well, I've I've tried to speak languages wherever I was, and I've spoken I've, I speak a number of languages. And once you realize that oh, these people, human beings, are more alike than we are unalike. Oh, I see. I am hungry. I say it in English. Well, the Mexicans said yo tengo hambre. Ah, and and the French say je faim. Ah, so everybody gets hungry. <laughs> and I'm afraid. Or I'm cold. So I found, oh, 
There really are no differences. There are cultural carryovers, but no real differences between human beings. We all weep. We all laugh. We all uh, enjoy jokes. Mm-hmm. Most of us have some belief in something larger than ourselves. And uh, once I saw that, I, I realized I belong anywhere human beings are. I don't know how I would get along with zebras or, or fleas or anything like that. <laughs> but in a, in a company of human beings, I'm fine. I will keep my, I, my ears open, my eyes open, and my mouth shut until I can learn something. Mm-hmm. So I can explain myself to someone. Mm-hmm. This is World Footprints Radio. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick with my wife, Tanya, and we are honoring the memory of the late Dr. Maya Angelou, who shared her life's journey, travel experiences, and loads of wisdom with us months before she died. Dr. Angelou's family continues to share her life's work through a legacy website, and we have a link to that site on this show page at worldfootprints.com. Is is there a destination, uh, Dr. Angelo, that really that where you really feel at home that really resonates with you and really speaks to your soul? I really feel at home wherever I am, according to my understanding of the language. I I wrote a, a screenplay, and it was shot in Sweden. I wasn't allowed to direct it. A Swedish director who had never shaken hands with an African American before. I directed it, and he didn't understand so much. And so when it when it premiered in New York, uh, I'm sorry to say, one half the audience booed, and mm-hmm. one half the audience said hurrah. Uh, I didn't deserve either. So I knew this was 1972. I didn't know any place I could go and study filmmaking uh, at that time, a woman of my age. Uh, so I called the Svenska Film Institute and asked if uh, if I could come and take a course in cinematography. And they said yes. I was told yes and welcomed. I went to Sweden. I took a course in cinematography in Sweden, in Swedish, in the winter. That was the wrong thing to do, the winter part. <laughs> but, but I took it and I made all the mistakes in the language that one can make. But the people understood I was trying. And so they corrected me without berating me. And I felt very much at home. Hmm. Have you visited uh, Trinidad or Ireland? Okay. I've not visited Ireland. I've been invited to Ireland. But I've been in Wales and Mm -hmm. and I've I've been in Trinidad and Jamaica and that. Have you discovered, because I know that's the birthplace of your your grandfather in Ireland, the birthplace of your grandmother, I'm just wondering if you've discovered any other relatives uh, in in those places. I have not. I was thinking about that uh, a week week or so ago, thinking about asking the genealogist who who, uh, did a a wonderful uh, search on my my father's family, and uh, I was thinking about calling him and asking him to to do the same thing for my mother's family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a museum in in Los Angeles called the Hall of Tol- Tolerance, and they they chose four Americans to um, to do installations of their of their the houses in which they grew up, mm-hmm. and that four the four of us are. Uh, Joe Torre, the baseball player, uh, Carlos Santana, the musician, Billy Crystal, the actor, and I. Mm. And there, there are installations there. You can go and see a lot about my father's people. You've been blessed with an extraordinary life, and you've been incredibly generous with sharing your life in full. Um, and so, you know, there may not be much that people don't know about you, but I think people, some people might be surprised to know that you've actually written country music. Oh, yes. <laughs> I have uh, friends in the country world, country music world. Um, a year or so ago, Miss uh, Naomi Judd and uh, Martina McBride came here to my home in North Carolina and sang to me. Mm. And I have a 
a memento given to me by Montgomery Gentry, the, the, I call them my two cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they gave me a wonderful guitar signed to me. And, and I'm very friendly. I've, I've gone to the uh, country music theater Hmm. And and to the opera house and and uh, inter- interviewed certain people and and introduced certain people to the audiences. So I'm a friend of of country music and they are friends. Many of them are friends of mine. <laughs> you know, I, I also write I write songs with Miss Roberta Flack and mm-hmm. Quincy Jones and so forth. Maya Angelou held multi generational appeal. So in the last few minutes of our interview, she shared some sage advice for young people to help them prepare for the life journey ahead. I would ask them, please read. I know they live in a, in a new world, the world of technology. I know that they have the iPads and, and all these other things, laptops and so. But I would love them to spend at least a few hours every week Reading. It's am- it's amazing how you belong. The words belong to you, and you learn somehow to write them. Open a book of poetry. See if you can't find something that says something to your heart, mm-hmm. to your spirit. And as soon as you do, write a few words. To meditate on the wisdom that Dr. Maya Angelou offered, and to be inspired by her life and her works. Visit this show page on worldfootprints.com for a direct link to her family's legacy website. Destination Spotlight, Murat Karakos from Turkish Tourism shines a light on Turkey from the New York Times Travel Show. Turkey is a huge, one of the biggest, biggest uh, touristic destination in the world. It is considered one of the biggest uh, open-air uh, destination in the world. It is formed uh, a bridge, a bridge between east and west. Uh, not only geopolitically, uh, geographically, but also historically. Uh, Turkey itself represents the uh, background of the Romans, uh, Byzantines, and the Ottomans throughout the history. More than uh, 36 ancient civilizations uh, live uh, the current Turkey's territories. So in every single part of the country, you can see uh, different civilizations, uh, ruins, and remnants. So that's why we call the uh, country uh, one of the biggest open-air museums. Let's say, let's say in Cappadocia. Cappadocia uh, is one of the, our major destinations, especially for the North Americans. Each year, approximately uh, 300,000 Americans visit, uh, visit uh, Cappadocia. The area, uh, it's a volcanic area now, uh, old, old volcanic area. Now it's a rough uh, uh, stones and uh, rocks shaped by climate, like winds, like uh, erosion, uh, which gives uh, people different uh, opportunities. The area is also important for the early Christianity. How so? How so is 
uh, around uh, 3rd century to uh, 6th century. In early Christianity, when the Roman empires, empires crushing the Christians, early Christians, the people hiding themselves in the underground cities of the Cappadocia. That's a huge city, uh, like a hotel, uh, uh, and cities linked, connected to each other via underground tun tunnels. There are some uh, 60 kilometers, let's say, uh, more than 40 meters, for, uh, 40 miles, 40 miles tunnels. Just imagine. Uh, during these uh, 300 uh, years, people just try to uh, keep their beliefs uh in the in that area because the area was easy to uh construct underground city because of the feature of the, the those stones uh so the area is very important for the religious tourism Michelle Wood is an artist whose work reflects a deep sense of history and place. As a painter, illustrator, designer, and writer, she has gained wide recognition and has earned multiple awards, including the prestigious American Book Award for her first book, Going Back Home. She's also won a Coretta Scott King Illustrator Award from the American Library Association for her book, I See the Rhythm. And Michelle's artistry explodes in I See the Rhythm of Gospel. And I understand this is really the first time the art form of gospel music has been blended with black history in a book. What led you and your, your partner in rhythm, I'm calling her, uh, Toyomi, I guess, to, to create this work? Hmm. Um, this is kind of uh, a different journey. How um, we got started, or how I got started is that an idea had came to me. Um, it was backwards. Our format is backwards where the writing, the artist comes first and then the writing comes afterwards. And in this book, it was the idea of I wanted to do gospel and I felt it in my spirit to do it. And I sat on the idea for about a year until I approached Toy. The book covers some monumental moments in black history, stretching way back to the beginning of slavery in the, in the 1500s. How were you able to condense this history into an illustrative picture book? There's so much history, it's very hard to narrow that down because we have to weigh out who had the most influence at that time period, um, who stood out more than others, and uh, because there's so many musicians, as you look at the time period that uh, came about and that had influence, and some lasted more decades than others and more influence, like the the women of uh, gospel music. Mm -hmm. um, you have Shirley Caesar of her time period, and one person that I fought for was Rosetta Thorpe, because when I saw her and read her life story and then saw some, you can go on YouTube and see videos of her and listen to her guitar and the people that she influenced, it was, she was very radical, reminding me of... of of uh, how they used to say about Bo Diddley when he went to uh, chess, chess records after he went to VJ records, and they said he was too radical, and then he goes to chess records and he blows up. But when you have uh, Rosetta Tharp and you listen to her guitar playing, where she had that uh, blues influence, but she brought that gospel sound, mm -hmm. and she was just, she was just a, a pioneer of her time. And she was before her time to me. So we looked for pioneers and people who were out front. Um, and that's how we narrowed it down. It was very difficult for us. But the things that I put in my paintings, I tried to translate. I have to look at clothes. I have to look at the time period. I have to look at, um, like in the 50s, it's more pastels or it's how the buildings were. And, or, and I didn't want to focus on just the musicians. I wanted to focus on the people. This book really is transcendent of just the uh, experience of African Americans from a, from a religious standpoint. It covers the totality of history and it connects it to so many things that have happened around the world. 
How did yeah. you arrive at the approach for tying in early history from the 15th century to the arrival of Barack Obama in 2008? You start from the beginning um, and starting from Africa and the influence of Africa on American, you know, American music and how... Um, the um, the call and response that you have in the music and the drums and and uh, everything is all connected to one. You even have um, where the we even get to jazz where there's a little bit of influence. Was that rhythm sound? Was the blues sound? But it got into gospel. You just have to go through all the research and and try to incorporate as much as possible and connect the dots as much as possible as you can. But we're all connected, even from this rhythm, holy hip-hop. You find those rhythms, those same rhythms are still in the music. And it's like the core of the music, the core of the beat. Um, and it's like the timekeeper, the drummer is the timekeeper. So it's, it's um, all linked together. You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. We are speaking to award-winning artist Michelle Wood about America's history as explored through the gospel, which she illustrates in her book, I See the Rhythm of Gospel. Visit this show page on our website at worldfootprints.com for links to Michelle's works. How does one go about capturing history and distilling it to a, a single image how was that challenge for you? I don't see my, my work as just a single image because it's a continuation from one image to another, like the image that is about slavery and about Harriet Tubman. And in that, you do have a little girl that's in the back of it. Her name is Missy, and she's going through the journeys with you, and she's going through each page as you go through it. And in that painting, there's different symbols that's layering and that's telling the history and indicating, like, the the leaf that's on her dress, that they're going north and, and where they're going is to Canada. But during that time period um, and, and researching the flags and of that time period, it wasn't a leaf. But we wanted to, com- to communicate that more literally than to confuse you and then um and like the underground railroad having the railroad in the water and well missy's all is based on me and my nickname when i was a little girl name is missy and the only people that will call me missy are family members so till this day if i go out and someone says missy i know that it's a family member and uh, my mother called me missy and she would tell me and always encourage me, there's more to see than Indiana. There's more outside your boundaries. So uh, my mother didn't work in, um, uh, she didn't have uh, a lot of money. But when she did, she would take me to New York or she will take me to the Bahamas or Kings Island or wherever she could take me, Chicago, to the Science Museum. She would just take me and show me there's more to see. So... And putting it in I See the Rhythm, I also, you know, start noticing that it was in my other paintings. Like in going back home, Missy's there sitting on her aunt's knee Mm -hmm. as she's getting her hair braided. Missy just uh, came about more subconsciously, and then now she's just a fabric. She's there all the time. Michelle, one of the things that is remarkable from my standpoint about the book is that it really takes one all over the world from Bronzeville on Chicago's south side to Harlem to South Africa. It touches on a lot of places that speak to me. In black history, and as well as, you know, and I say very much that it's America's history, because I don't pinpoint it to just to say it's black history. America is, is such a melting pot. And it's our history. And I want also children to be proud, African-American children, to be proud of their history and their contribution to society. It's it's so much that we've done. Mm -hmm. And it's so much that uh, that we've captured in this book. And so much to be proud of. And I look at the faith, you know, we had to have had so much faith. And that's so much that you can embody is to have, you know, faith and to believe and to believe in a future, to believe that there's something better and to keep pushing and keep pushing and push through slavery and depression and and um, as a, and then the civil rights movement and just keep going until we're here today and we're still pushing forward. 
And uh, and it's amazing how much strength that we have as people, mm-hmm. you know, and that we were growing and we have a black president now. But look at the person that prayed before, the person that had the faith and to get through those troubled times to get to where we are today. And I am so thankful for those that have gone before us and for those that are paving the way today. To appreciate some of Michelle Wood's illustrations and other works, visit the show page on worldfootprints.com for a direct link to her website. You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Coming up, we will share our conversation with musical patriarch Ellis Marsalis about the importance of jazz music, how his famous sons Branford and Winton almost didn't follow in his footsteps, and what he and his adopted musical son, Harry Connick Jr., are doing to support musicians in New Orleans. Then we will speak to another music legend, Sandra Isidore, whose search for her own life's meaning and music during the civil rights era led her to Nigerian revolutionary Afrobeat musician Fela Kuti. Then stay tuned as we shine a destination spotlight on the country of Turkey. If you want more travel experiences beyond this radio show, we invite you to visit our website, worldfootprints.com, where you can peruse our library of radio shows, articles, and more. You can also find links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Marsalis Jr. is the patriarch of a musical family that includes internationally acclaimed musicians Branford and Wooten Marsalis. As an accomplished pianist, Ellis has been a major influencer in jazz and as a leading educator at the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, the University of New Orleans, and Xavier University of Louisiana. Ellis has influenced the careers of countless musicians, including Terrence Blanchard, Harry Connick Jr., and Nicholas Payton. Did your sons all want to grow up and kind of follow in your footsteps because you created such a beautiful legacy of music? Well, I don't know that they really wanted to do that because as they were growing up, jazz music was not their favorite music. <laughs> so, Oh! <laughs> I'm sure that would shock many today. <laughs> Well, uh, mostly because people don't really know teenagers. I mean, mm-hmm. you, should, you should read about uh, jazz musicians. And not only that, you know, lots of people who are now playing in symphony orchestras started out in garage bands. Mm-hmm. You see? So it's a, it's a, it's sort of like the American way. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, there's a point in time in which you have to become serious uh, if about certain aspects of what it is that you're going to do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, and like there's, there's nothing wrong with uh, staying in pop music if you can figure out how to do that, you know, because there's a level of seriousness even in that because everybody who starts out in pop music does not end up uh, to be a Bruce Springsteen. Or James Taylor, you know, it doesn't happen like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, uh, the, the the thing that I think they were able to benefit from was that we made sure in the early years that they had good quality instruction on their instruments. And I think uh, there's lots of people who uh, I've had t- had a chance to talk to some uh, adults who shared their experiences as young people and uh, how they didn't really get a chance to study seriously on their instrument for whatever combination of, of, of circumstance. And it can make a difference. Jazz is a very important part of our culture. Talk a little bit about the importance of uh, jazz to America. Well, the music is indigenous to the culture overall. The process for the creation of the music is rooted in a democratic process. Sometimes people refer to it as organized chaos, but it really isn't. Uh, it's 
sort of seems that way because when people see jazz musicians performing, most times they don't see them reading music. Mm-hmm. It creates the illusion that either they don't know how or that it's just luck. You see, but for the most part, I don't think that the music is appreciated enough in the democratic process because it is not an indigenous to curriculums, in especially K-12. I mean, there's some jazz studies programs and higher education here and there, but to actually have jazz studies in your earlier grades mm-hmm. can, can make a difference in uh, not only the attitude, but also how it is that young musically inclined students Function. This is World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. We are talking to jazz legend Ellis Marsalis about his work to preserve America's music legacy. To learn more about the history of jazz or Ellis's educational work, visit this show page on worldfootprints.com for relevant links. Now, uh, Ellis, we have been so fortunate to have uh, Ben Jaffe of Preservation Hall with us and Irvin Mayfield as well, the cultural ambassador to New Orleans. There's just something amazing about uh, New Orleans and just the talent that it continues to produce in jazz music. And what I like about all of the people that we have been so fortunate to have on our show is just their commitment to the yard and to into the preservation and the promulgation of uh, jazz. Talk to us a little bit about how New Orleans itself can be such an instrumental part of uh, helping younger generations appreciate this uh, pure American uh, music form. There's an old saying sometimes when, at, when you're at the bottom of the barrel, all that wears up. I don't know that we're really at the bottom of the barrel, but we're not exactly where we need to be in terms of uh, jazz music being exposed to the nation as a whole. Well, you know, I know you're you're doing your part, though, you know, particularly in New Orleans with with your who you call your honorary son, Harry Connick Jr. You you guys have uh, helped build musicians uh, village uh, for the purpose of trying to encourage musicians to come back to the city. Talk a little bit about the successes and in, in, in just the, the work behind uh, Musicians Village in, in New Orleans. Well, the Musicians Village was not really a part of getting musicians to come back. Most of the musicians have never really gone anywhere. They may have had problems, like a lot of other people had problems with their residents mm-hmm. in terms of, of storm-related or what have. Uh, but for the most part, like, for example, our youngest son, when Katrina hit, he was on an airplane coming from Japan. Mm. So uh, what the Musician's Village represents is an opportunity to give musicians a, 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 a chance to own a home. Right. But a lot of people don't understand it's not some kind of a giveaway program. I mean, there are specific things that uh, anybody who would get one of those halls would have to do, and which involves some very mainstream activities like get their credit in line and be able to assume a monthly note, you know, things of that nature. But it's an opportunity with uh, Habitat for Humanity to build some houses that's uh, Earmark, if you will. If you're visiting New Orleans, you can usually see Ellis performing at Snug Harbor on Friday nights. To follow his schedule or learn more about his work in jazz education, visit this show page at worldfootprints.com for relevant links. Thank you. 
Destination Spotlight, we continue learning about Turkey from tourism representative Murat Karakos at the New York Times Travel Show, who talks about the rich diversity of the country. Actually, country is a mixture, a blend. 99% uh, of the country is the Muslim population. But the ethnically, ethnically, uh, there are uh, there are Turks, uh, Caucasian uh, migrants, uh, European migrants, Greek originated, Armenians, Kurds, all those together. Turkey is a one-form country. Turkey, uh, uh, one five part of the country in the uh, European side, which we call is Thrakia, and the other part as a uh, uh, Asian part. So, uh, geographically, Turkey Turkey uh, is a bridge between East and West. We are stressing in every single occasion. This is, uh, but culturally, culturally, yes, uh, our roots come from East. Turks come from the uh, Central Asia, blended with uh, Middle Eastern cultures. As I told you before, uh, Arabs. I told uh, about the Arabs in the country. There are many Arabs li- live Arabs as well in the south part of the country. You know, they also every single ethnicity put something different to the shaping uh, the country's cultural background. That is important for us. Uh, yes, uh, it's up to where you l- look from. Uh, in Istanbul, let's say that's our major touristic destination, not only touristic destination, also our economic destination, our uh, whatever, uh, our everything. We call Istanbul uh, with many different aspects. Istanbul is, uh, from the one side, the most traditional city of Turkey, but on the other side, uh, on the other side, most modern uh, city of the country. So you cannot call or you cannot describe uh, some specific part of the country east or west. But surely I cannot ignore uh, the main culture, uh, mainstream culture comes from the uh, east. is an iconic music legend who has lent her voice to advance humanitarian causes. Known as a mother of Afrobeat, Sandra helped shape the music and the message of Africa's revolutionary genius, Fela Kuti. Sandra's influence was so profound that she has even been immortalized in Fela's autobiography and Broadway hit play, Fela. Sandra continues to fight for the human rights of others. For, for those who haven't seen the, the production, you're portrayed as a central influencing figure in the life and music of the late Fela Kuti. Take us through those early days. What was the, the cultural climate in the U.S. at that time compared to Nigeria? Here in the U.S., it was um, a period of awakening Martin Luther King had started a movement. Um, then there was the uh, Honorable Elijah Muhammad, who, were, who was bringing people into the Nation of Islam. And then there was Malcolm X, who was a great influence in my life. And then they, they had the Black Student Unions. They had the Panther Party. So that was the climate at the time. Um, because you could just look around and see blatant inequalities. Although I was very young at the time, I would hear the adults whispering. My, my parents tried to hide everything from me. Mm-hmm. See, I never knew about racism in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It wasn't until we moved, when I was a child, my parents moved into an all-white neighborhood that I started seeing the differences, and the differences was pointed out to me by the children in the neighborhood. Although we played together and we enjoyed each other's company, but, you know, if we had a disagreement, they would express the words of their parents. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to look at myself and see myself differently. Now, where, where, where was it you grew up? I grew up in Los Angeles. I must say I had a very beautiful childhood because the area that we moved in, it was, it was rural at that time. So there were a lot of ponds and cows and horses, and I loved it. That childhood that made me aware of a difference. It wasn't until, I think, after the, the, the Watts riots that it was when my cousin Aubrey came, and my cousin Aubrey was part of the Panther Party. And some of the party members would come to my parents' home. And again, I started hearing And so then I went in search of on the underground, and then going in search of on the underground is when I started to find out all of the the truths in uh, about American history, Black American history, Mm -hmm. and I became angry. I was very angry. And I was angry with my parents. I was angry with the church because I'm born into a very religious family. I was very angry. And um, um, and at that time, also listening to Malcolm X, pass the ballot or the bullet. So that was like, um, you know, the motto. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't believe in turning the other cheek because I felt like we had turned the other cheek too many times. But it has a growth and work in progress. You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. And we're talking to the queen mother of Afrobeat, Sandra Isidore, about her travels and her evolution as a child in the civil rights era. And how did your path cross with Fela? How did you come well, What made my path cross was from the age of six, um, when I noticed the difference, and whenever I turned on the TV and I saw, uh, you know, I never saw any positive black images on television. I, I didn't see them anywhere. So um, at that point, I said, well, I have to, um, I, I must meet an African. This is when, as I evolved, I, I got to the point where I figured the only way I was going to get the truth to really know about my my ancestors was I needed to relate to Africa because I knew that that's my ancestral grounds. So that's what made me interested in meeting an African. I put that out there in the universe, and as it goes around and around and around, by the time I was in high school, I started to meet African exchange students that were here studying. And it, it, it went from there to, you know, dancing with the Sawaba African Dance Theater to meeting Juno Lewis through the African Dance Theater, which eventually led me to meeting Fela Anikulakpo Kuti. But he wasn't Anikulakpo then. He was Fela Ransom Kuti when I met him. So by the time I met Fela, I had enough knowledge about our ancestral past to be able to convey it to him, which I thought he already had, being that he was African. Of course, he knew all of these things, right? But I was wrong. Have you, in the course of your lifetime, and certainly uh, back in the early days when uh, you met uh, Fela and, and began even your own career kind of as an, a revolutionary artist, did you have a chance to travel uh, to any country in Africa, Nigeria specifically? I went with an open mind and I went with love, and that's what I was greeted with. Um, 
lots of love and you know i i just always had a positive experience in nigeria not only nigeria in 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 ghana in togo all the countries that i've traveled to in africa i have been greeted with lots of love and respect you've used your gift uh, of music to really spread awareness about social issues fighting on behalf of blacks in Cuba, talk about what's happening in Cuba that has sparked this passion in you. I was really heartbroken because I always looked up to Fidel, and most black Americans here, they see Fidel Castro as a hero. But then when you meet the people from Cuba, the whites, the blacks, the um the homosexual uh, community from Cuba, then you, you learn about the, the prejudices and the inequalities and the human rights violations. And I was shocked. And I found out that Fidel was not that hero that I thought he was. So that's why I wrote the song, um, Tell the Truth. And, and it was my way of expressing when I'm hurt, I have come to see the things that Fella talked about in Nigeria or the things that were happening in Nigeria which, what, 20, 30 years ago, that I, I didn't think was, you know, I thought it was a Nigerian problem, has reached the shores of America now. And we must stop. We have to stop or we're going to destroy ourselves. You know, we're going to destroy this beautiful, wonderful country. America is a beautiful country. Mm-hmm. We have good laws. But a few greedy People, corporate greed, and just greedy people in general, thinking of the one instead of thinking of the many and the suffering that you cause to many. You know, it's just out of hand. To learn more about Sandra Isidore, hear her music, and review her tour schedule, and to learn more about Fela Kute, visit this show page at worldfootprints.com for a host of relevant links.
I think this is one of the more powerful shows that we've shared. We've done a lot of interviews with people, uh, brought the world to to life in a lot of ways. Uh, but the interview with Maya Angelou was particularly emotional for me, uh, and uh, and very very insightful. And her words today still resonate with me very deeply. And what I liked about what she said as 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 we look at things from a travel perspective is that she said that she felt at home anywhere her feet were planted, essentially. So just speaking to this notion of just taking hold of this world, of not having any boundaries or limits placed on you by geography, politics, or any of those kinds of things. Well, she really echoed what has been our platform for since we started, is that we all share a common humanity. She got it. She understood it. She echoed it. And really, it validated uh, for me what we're doing and uh, through World Footprints with all of our guests and, and just encouraging the both of us to continue moving forward. And I also like the encouragement she offered for young people and the advice in this technological age in which we live uh, to read and to make those words that you read your own because they become a part of you and so that's just a very instructive thing that you know for all of us that we not become so uh taken by technology and and all that it brings forth the words through books you know they bring the world to life they and as does art and you know for me art has been very very integral to my upbringing and I love what Michelle Wood is doing with her art and how she actually found a correlation between American history and gospel. People may think that jazz is America's uh, heritage musical form, uh, but gospel is as well. And she actually created a, a bridge to those two things. And I think that's the nice thing about having Ellis Marcellus and Michelle Wood together because Ellis speaks to jazz, and we think of that as the American art form, our great contribution to music. And Michelle found a way to really look at gospel music uh, in terms of what it meant to the African-American tradition, but to look at it as part of this uh, continuum of history, uh, not just here in America, but throughout the world. And it's just nice to see this impact of jazz and gospel through these two different individuals really speaking to the impact these art forms have had on America's cultural scene, on its religious scene, and ultimately its soul. And then we have the Afrobeat that Sandra Isidore developed and and fostered following her relationship and um, time spent with Nigeria's Afrobeat musician, the late Fela Kuti, who is immortalized in the Broadway stage play, Fela, and Sandra plays an integral role, or her character plays an integral role in that production. But it's very interesting even to see how she grew through the civil rights era and how she actually taught Africans about what was happening in America. She assumed that uh, the Africans knew. But one of the things that she said that was very uh, poignant for me was how much she felt at home in Africa because many times we hear African Americans say they don't feel welcomed uh, in Africa, but she actually dispelled that perception. And her comments, even though we're in a different uh, time period today, are so relevant given the the political discourse that's taking place around issues such as income inequality and even race and, and, and so forth. So she offered some pretty poignant insights, I think. And in closing, consider this thought from Rumi. Travel brings power and love back into your life. As always, it's been a pleasure to spend time with you, and we thank you for inviting us into your life. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we look forward to sharing another amazing journey with you on World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints Media, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award-winning radio show can be heard around the globe on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, and more. Visit worldfootprints.com for a complete list. 
World Footprints Radio is a leading voice in socially responsible travel. At worldfootprints.com, you'll find an archive of past broadcasts, travel news, reviews, and information you can use to deepen your travel experience. Listen, learn, and live it at worldfootprints.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.